What's going on? Don't you understand? I feel like I was meant for something more than this. I'm Justin Lassick. And I'm Mike Badalino. And you're listening to 70s Big Radio. Your friends drive nine five. <laughs> Alrighty, bienvenidos a la cita del amor. Welcome wherever you are in the world. Thank you for listening to the 70s Big Radio. It's a podcast about strength and conditioning. We're going to have a good time today. And I'm all about it today, Mike. But the first thing I want to talk about is this this front squat that Derek Kendall did. We put it on the fan page, the Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash 70sbig. And Derek Kendall does this 800-pound front squat with uh, – he's just in knee wraps, right, Mike? No, he's in knee sleeves. He's in knee sleeves. That's fucking – god damn it. Like, t- I mean, it's it's all it's all right. It's it's okay. I guess. Uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty three, good. It's three hundred and sixty three kilos. Um, not that we're like comparing it to a weightlifters or anything like that, but um, the best clean and jerk ever is two hundred sixty six kilos by Taranenko. And of course, there's a lot more shit you got to do in weightlifting compared to just just strength training. But that's a fucking strong front squat. I mean, it's it's. It's pretty good for his body weight, I guess. I mean, no, it's not right? good for his body weight. He, uh, no, if he if he weighed like a hundred pounds more, then it might be good for his body weight. All right, no, it's. I, I'm pretty sure uh, it's the heaviest front squat that's ever been videoed. I mean, for sure, it's pretty insane. I, I mean, know. I guess I guess Rizazade did uh, supposedly did 800 for maybe a double or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just a single, but I heard that. But I, I'm sure he. he he probably wore knee wraps, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. But yeah, still, that's that's badass. Yeah, I don't know. Derek Kendall's is so easy. Like he he had another fifty pounds in him. Yeah, you know? I, I don't know if uh, I've never seen Rizazade squatting that heavy, so I don't even know if there's video of him. But maybe there is. I just haven't seen it. But but yeah, I don't think pretty... it's on, I don't think it's on video. I think it's just uh, what people have said. I'm sure people have approached that or done that before and stuff. But it's just uh, you know from a powerlifter who doesn't specialize in any kind of vertical bars vertical torso squatting is pretty impressive uh the second thing that was impressive uh just put up on the fan page a second ago is uh this girl stephanie renfro i think i'm saying her last name correct but uh she just discreetly posted a video on the wall and it's uh she weighs about she's just a few pounds under 150 pounds and it's a video of her deadlifting 405 for triple um which i know a lot of our male readers may not be able to do (laughs) Um, it's pretty badass. Yeah, and she's uh, she's not an ugly girl. She's uh, Jesus. <laughs> she's not an ugly girl. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> somebody like when you hear when you hear this girl's uh, pulling four hundred, like you're gonna imagine, I don't know, some sort of uh, some sort of large girl that has hairy armpits or something. But she's she's not an ugly girl. She's she's a one hundred and forty five pound girl. You know, it's all Justin, man. <laughs> Um, ah, come on, I'm a married man. Ah, come on. Uh, but she, uh, there's some other videos. Uh, she presses 135 for a single. I mean, it's a limit fucking rep, right, Mike? Uh, what's the the 135 press? Oh yeah, for show. And then uh, she has some videos from a USAPL meet. She was weighing 138 in that video, and she squats 259, benches 154, and deadlifts 385. So it's pretty awesome. I don't know how that compares uh, uh, to other girls in the class, but that's uh, yeah, that's pretty solid. Um, so the thing about her that I you can notice right away that someone might be a 
quarterback arm you know arm armchair quarterbacking her is that she's got a I guess you could say some uh, flexion going on in her back during that 405 deadlift, and and it's like, yeah, there's some of that going on, but you would expect that at, at limits type reps, um, especially when she's doing well over two times her body weight. Um, but I think that she could probably iron out some of those deficiencies with uh, some some rounding out of musculature. Like I don't know who's coaching her or like how she's gotten to this point, but like in her squat and her USAPL squat, uh, I'm, I think I watched the 259. Like her knees come in and it's kind of, she can be cleaned up in her technique and, and I don't know how long she's been lifting, but there are some things she can clean up. Like when she when she puts the, this press overhead, she's a little hyperlordotic. So like she's arching her lower back pretty hard. And that's, so there's there's some things she can clean up, but uh, it's still fucking impressive from a, from a 150 pound girl, you know? Roger? <laughs> what are you? What are we gonna talk about next? We got something else you want to jump right into questions? Yeah. Uh, one more thing. Um, oh, the hip article. Yes. Yeah. About a week and a half ago, we posted this thing. Uh, this website called the Movement Fix. About and, a week out. And uh, this guy named Ryan DeBell. I don't know where he got his degree from, but he's a he's a physical therapist. But he uh, put this uh, this article up, and he was basically like, okay, first off, the the I'm kind of a title guy, Mike. Like, uh, when I look at websites, I'm like, that's a fucking stupid title. And, okay. Uh, not that I make, like, awesome titles or anything. I try and sometimes do uh, analogies to things, or I usually put symbolism in my art, in my titles of my posts and shit. Right. Um, and I try and stay away from the, uh, I was going to say Brazzers. What's, uh, what's the BuzzFeed? <laughs> uh, BuzzFeed, and uh, what are some other sites like BuzzFeed that... The, the titles are basically predicated on trying to draw uh, to pe for people to click on it, which I mean I can't blame them for, but they're fucking annoying. It's kind of like doing a very cheesy media type stuff, and so his is the best kept secret: why people have to squat differently. So like, first off, yeah, that's, it's the best kept secret ever. Yeah. <laughs> so first it's, off, it's the only thing. It's the only thing we don't know. It's like, well, I mean, first off, it, it's like uh, for me. Oh, well, that didn't work. So, I mean, first off, it's not a secret, you know? Like, who? it's not like somebody's keeping this information from the rest of the population. There's uh, like a, there's a it's, it's like Gollum, and he's got like a big box, and he's got a big key, and he opens it, and then runs away. Yeah? Something like that? Sure. Uh, right, right. Uh, you like discipline. Yeah. Okay, so anyway. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, okay, so what he's talking about in this fucking article is that... Uh, He's basically saying people have variations in anatomy, right? And so he even posts some pictures of uh, some femurs. And so, like, the angle of, like, the femoral head with respect to the shaft of it um, can be more like a 90-degree angle or it can be more like a 45-degree angle. And then the head of these femurs um, have some variation. And, uh, and then uh, actual pelvises have different... They, they uh, are shaped differently. And, of course, like, he doesn't point out, like if uh, the pelvises or femurs that he's pointing to are male or female. Um, he doesn't even provide any information on uh, on uh, what kind of variation there can be or what the average is. Um, I, th I would think that he'd at least like say the average is something like this, but I mean, he didn't seem to do much of a lit review and he even said like, if you have any research, go ahead and give it to me. Um, Why does he talk like that? Because uh, he talks like that. Uh, so I mean, let's let's keep this so, let's keep this not uh, 
<laughs> Let's keep this focused on the argument, I guess. So, <laughs> so anyway, he uh, um, he's basically talking about like there's variations in, in anatomy, and that therefore people will be comfortable or not comfortable in squatting. And so if basically the individual trainees should dictate how they're going, like the mechanics that they're going to use in squatting. And he's almost like saying like, everyone says there's one style of squatting and re in reality, the person who's doing it should dictate how they're gonna squat. And first off, I've got a lot of problems with this article. Uh, not even like looking at his argument, but like number one, no, people shouldn't have the autonomy to decide how they're going to squat because they don't know. Like, there's mechanics involved and there's there's a, a muscular involvement involved. And so a coach, or at least a good one who understands biomechanics, musculoskeletal anatomy, is going to be able to say, no, you need to be, you know, this is kind of the model and then we're going to adjust from there. And so him trying to claim that coaches don't adjust from there, I mean, fair enough if he's kind of referencing uh, CrossFit coaches or whatever. Like, fair enough, they may not have that kind of... Uh, I don't know, ability knowledge to... Knowledge base? The knowledge base or like the unconventional thinking to be like, oh, I need to adapt to this situation, blah, blah, blah. Like maybe they're just trying to you put a round peg into a square hole or whatever the fuck, you know? So uh, so if he's kind of looking at people like that, fair enough. But a good coach, and I would put myself in that category with teaching these very basic movements like the squat and press and deadlift. If you see some sort of crazy variation in someone's anatomy, like like long femur short torso or um, inability to have a you know right at shoulder width stance and, and comfortably get down into a squat like you fucking adjust fire from there like it, this is something that good coaches have been doing for a long time so I don't understand what his point is he's not saying anything profound but he's also not saying anything that's kept secret but that's a that's obviously just uh, nitpicking his title um, so that's the first thing is that like good coaches already account for this so I don't know what his point is and uh Lastly, it kind of like, it kind of also ignores the mobility because like the the articles kind of uh, seems to be in uh, in opposition to Kelly Starrett and stuff like that. But like mobility and stuff does dictate how someone can move and how someone can get in proper position. So he's kind of like trying to be like uh, an opponent to Kelly Starrett, but at the same time like. If someone is going to squat efficiently, like they typically do have things from their daily lives that are going to inhibit that motion. And so he's kind of just saying like, oh, skeletal anatomy is going to dictate all this when that's an, a gross oversimplification and erroneous at best. So I just wanted to talk about that because we posted it and I never read it before we posted it. And then I didn't really comment. So it was bothering me. And then I don't know, it just just seems kind of like a an unnecessary like look at me type article that I'm completely unimpressed with. So sorry, Ryan, but I mean I'm sure you're a good coach or whatever. He's also very uncomfortable in front of a camera, Mike. Like he films uh, this, he put a video up because he had so much attention from this article, and he's uh, I don't know, he just looks like he's real fucking uncomfortable in front of a camera, and then he's got this whole like Mr. Rogers thing going on where he's like trying to smile the whole time and stuff. I don't know. It weirded me out. Sorry, Ryan, but constructive criticism, like, you know, relax. And if he actually listens to this, he's just fucking relax and stuff. So, and say fuck more. I don't know. Not right now. Probably not. All right. Uh, should we do a first question? Let, well, um, first. Get your mother, please. Uh, she's not here right now. I swear I will not kill anyone. All right. Mm, I think I, you're a Terminator. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? I don't know. Yes. Hmm. 
So, okay, no. so that's the first question. All right, very good. Uh, first question is from Elliot. Elliot asks... Wrong. Do you hmm, interesting. Do you still enjoy shakes at night, shakes at night? And they Bullshit. said the uh, best exercise to strengthen the lower back for deadlifts, round back extensions, anything else? Thanks. Exclamation point. Wait, I think he did say something else. Sue me, dickhead. No, no, he said... Sue me, dickhead. Uh, I don't see that on here. That's I. That's there's no words on it. I see to to play us out, to end the show. Wrong. All right. Stop uh, it. Do, do I still enjoy shakes at night. Uh, Chris and I don't live together anymore, but I think Crystal. I mean, Crystal drinks a lot of chicken shakes. Uh, Chris has a Blendtec, so chicken shakes are hey, just is, purely liquid now. What's is that? Blendtec the thing that where they used to have the YouTube videos and they're like, will it blend? That yeah, is the question. Yeah. The, have you watched those? There's like, yeah, it's absurd. He blends iPhones, and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, there's hundreds of them. And uh, I've, I have this friend uh, when we were in college. I, like, I knew him growing up and stuff. We were best friends. And he fucking loved YouTube when it first came out. And he watched all of the Willa Blend videos. He loved them. <laughs> and then he jumped in a blender, and it was over. Is that what happened? Is that how the story ends? No, he actually did jump into a swimming pool and had a pretty bad cervical injury, broke his neck, but that's a, a huge digression. Let's continue. Wow, okay. Alright, so do I still enjoy shakes at night? Uh, I make my shakes in the afternoon, shakes in the afternoon, and uh, Chris drinks chicken shakes throughout the day. I don't have a Blendtec. Uh, if you want to send me one, sure, but yeah, I don't have a Blendtec, so... Someone, bro- someone who's listening to this that doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about my, has is totally lost. So why don't you why, <laughs> don't you, why don't you explain what it is that we you're don't need talking. to explain anything. That's not necessary. Okay. All right. So there's a video shakes at night where uh, Chris and I make chicken shakes at night and then we drink them. And if you've never had a chicken shake, it's an experience, uh, life altering, if you will. Uh, I think I've only so, had one. They're they're, pr- they're pretty bad. Uh, I forget what Chris made one with recently that was horrible, but uh, Chris tries a lot more stuff with chicken shakes than I did. I just did chicken and crystal light and water, and I was all set. I tried spinach in there once, and it was disgusting. But, uh, yeah, so check it out. I think it's on Chris's uh, I think it's on Chris's YouTube. Okay, the so they got this video. idea, though, from uh, Derek Poundstone. Yeah, yeah, because Poundstone. He, he drinks chicken shakes in order to get like more protein, because uh, he's a giant human, and so that's when they started doing this, and Chris and Mike have been doing it. How long? Like a couple years now, or what? Chris has been doing it for a couple of years. I stopped. I, I've just been eating chicken again because I broke my blender by making chicken shakes. It's why uh, you need just, a, will it blend? That that's is the question, and the answer to whatever blender piece of shit blender you're using is a no. Hmm. Uh, so okay, it, it's fine. If, you're, if, if, if Chris or five hundred dollars, if Chris's blender was talking to your blender, he'd say, "Moving along, fuck with me." You're a fucking choir boy compared to me. A choir boy. That's what Chris. I think is, that's, that's just that's just a quote from End of Days. So that's not that's not about Blendtex. No. Anyway, he the, let's talk to Elliot. He's asking about exercise. Uh, exercise to strengthen the lower back. A little beakers. What's the best exercise, huh? Little beakers. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> So, all right. So eventually we'll answer a question. Uh, Chris and I were after this strawman competition that I did in uh, that I did in Houston. I was real tired and uh, my back was killing me. 
and we were uh, we we had just eaten some burgers. At okay, spring, what that? Hold on, hold on. Let me. Give, I wasn't there, but when Mike said he was really tired and his back was hurting him, what he means is he's just like he's in he's in a really grumpy mood because he's probably yeah. hungry. He's and tired. Chris is at a thousand. Chris is at a thousand percent. That's how that's how that's how it always is. Yeah. So uh, Chris looks up after we eat, and he's like, "You see that place over there? It's the little beakers." It was like a little be a place called Little Beakers. It was like a science lab for kids. So he just keeps going to Little Beaker Science for Kids. And uh, so I videotaped it and uh, sent it to everyone. And it put me in a better mood for the four-hour drive that ensued. But, yeah, so Chris said uh, Little Beakers. Little Beakers. So he says round back extensions. Okay, what would you, yeah. what would you recommend for him to strengthen his lower back? Uh, those banded good mornings that you uh, – that you like so much, yeah? No? Yeah. I ben mean, Rose. Uh, I mean, I don't like strengthen the lower back. I mean, like the first thing I think of is is what kind of problems is he having with his deadlift? You know, because like that could be hamstring related, could be it could be lower back related. But when people are usually like, oh fuck, I need to get my lower back or like that sacral area better, it's because they're yeah, usually. I don't know what he's thinking. Yeah, yeah I don't know what Why? what he's what's yeah what's the mechanism for or what's the cause of this question? Like, because usually people are doing too much shit in their training where that port like that lower back region just gets tired and sore and stuff, and that's Posted. usually usually it's like too much stuff going on. Too much stress on it, and so they probably need to uh, like ratchet everything back, and and maybe have a lower uh, intensity and volume type, like maybe a deload week or a deload couple weeks or something. Because uh, even if you're not very strong, like that can happen. Because that used to happen to me a lot, and it doesn't really happen nowadays anymore. Because I've got more balance in my musculature and strength and stuff. So that's the first thing I think of, and usually that's due to hamstrings. So like you know, properly executed ham uh, RDLs or Band of Good Mornings, like they're kind of like a low stress uh, thing that can still get work on that area. But like round back extensions are another one of those kind of lower stress things that can help, uh, especially in a deload scenario. Roger. All right. Should we answer Gene's question next? Gene asks. No. Oh, all right. Uh, we'll answer Matt's then. No. Or Steve's. Steve asks, what are some limiting factors when switching from low bar to high bar? Uh, yeah, Justin, what do you think? And then I'll share my personal experience. Uh, honest, I, I don't even know why Arnold said not to answer that guy's question. I, th I thought you were going to answer it anyway. But uh, limiting factors from switching uh, from low to high. Um, uh -huh. I guess we have to kind of point out that people need to ask questions in a specific way. You know, like ask specific <laughs> questions or like improve yeah. their questions. Because what do you mean like limiting factors? But all that being aside, like I'm gonna understand this as problems if you're switching. Um, the first problem is gonna be that like your uh, your your motor pathway is has been used to doing these low bar squats, and low bar squats are executed very differently. Like you focus on pushing your hips up, and of course that doesn't mean that you drop your chest. You're like your back angle stays constant out of the hole and stuff, but you imagine pushing your butt up, and that's a very good cue to um, help hip drive in the low bar squat but it's very bad for the high bar squat because um the the musculoskeletal you know like the involvement is different so it's taking it's using the hamstrings differently like whereas they are more of a hip extensor and focusing on that out of the hole in a low bar they're kind of more of just holding the back angle in place in a in a high bar and it's going to be more of like the glutes hip extending and the quads knee extending in a high bar so it's more of like quad and glute whereas the low bar is more of like a hamstring uh, adductor type thing. 
And of course, like that doesn't mean that these other muscles are being shut off. It just that's just what the emphasis, the emphasis. is. Yeah. So yeah. The, the the main cues I give for high bar, and it's more so important when someone's converting over, is that they just need to think heels and you know chest up. And so from there, I would I would have to coach them and see what they're doing and kind of go from there. But like it, you kind of don't think you think push the ground away with your heels as opposed to push your butt up, and that's kind of the main difference. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I would suggest if he's going to switch from low to, to high is I just I dropped low bar completely. I mean, I, I really don't uh, – I didn't want to keep both of them in the program. I've tried that before, and I feel like uh, – I felt like just sticking with one and seeing how it went for a while was going to be the best route for me, and uh, I think it worked out. I've only been high barring for six months, and, yeah, my uh, I've broken all my PRs except my uh, – my one RM, but I really haven't truly tested it, I guess. But I'll break that this yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, you're, the main thing with Mike uh, is that he's training for more strongman-related stuff and not so much powerlifting now. And he, although he did a powerlifting meet recently, he just kind of did it in conjunction with his strongman training. And so that's that's uh, one reason why he converted. And like I, Olympic lift is like a hobby, and so low barring is not conducive to fucking Olympic lifting. So. I think like your your uh, your end product is gonna dictate which one you're gonna use, and I'm I'm more uh, I'm more these have their place, but you you use which one it is depending on what you want your end product to be. And some people, you know, obviously there's the big argument online like which one to use. Like there's a party that says always low bar, but I I've been to nationals with low barring. I've been to nationals in weightlifting, in low barring, and I weightlifted with uh, with low barring, and it's not conducive to doing uh, weightlifting at all. So. Um, I would just point that out that the means are going to just, I mean, sorry, the end is going to justify the means in this case. So what, what do you want as your end product? And I think in like something like strongman, then it's going to be beneficial to have all that high bar movement because like, uh, Mike has often, um, kind of said that stones require, you know, require more like a front squat strength as opposed to like a posterior chain strength. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of sum up that argument a little bit because I was talking to someone at dinner the other night about it, so it's been on my mind, the high bar, low bar thing. But it's still basically the article I have on the site, if you go and search that, that's that's how I feel about it. So, Okay. Gene asks, what's the best way to measure body fat? Calipers? One of those, I don't know, game controller looking things or Good. alien technology? I guess if he has access to alien technology, that would probably be the best. But uh, what do you think, Justin? Hello, cutie pie. Uh, hi, how are you? Uh... Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm going to ask you a uh, bunch of questions. Body, I want to have them answered immediately. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Mm. Wrong. Um, so I think that... Uh... The best way, the the best way to measure body fat is with calipers. Um, well, of course, let me back up. The best way is going to be hydrostatic weighing, but we don't really have access to these dunk tanks and so on. So, um, the um, actually, there's another way too. It's uh, done with ultrasound, and Jeremy Wolf has one. He runs CrossFit Annandale, and he uh, did it on me. It's actually it's it costs much a lot for the uh, the practitioner or the owner or whatever. And then the thing is you can charge people like, I don't know, 10 to $20 for a body fat reading and you can kind of make up your cost with it. But I thought it was pretty cool. You kind of just like rub it down uh, certain segments like 
parts of your basically kind of similar sites to where you would do uh, caliper testing. Excuse me, and uh, so it, it that's pretty effective. So I don't know about the uh, like the validity and reliability of that, but I think it's it's probably up there. But the next best thing is going to be caliper. But you need good calipers and you need experienced uh, caliper users, and both of those things are not very common. Like. You can get calipers for like fifty dollars, but the good ones are going to be several hundred dollars. And then, you, of course, like someone that has done a lot of uh, pinching and doing this test, because I've done uh, hundreds of them when I was in school. I did, I had to do fitness assessments. It was boring, but it gave me that skill of doing that and blood pressure and so on. So, um, so caliper is going to be good. I don't like the uh, what he's talking about with the game controller. You, uh, it's a bio impedance thing, and you hold on to it with both your hands on each side. And it mm -hmm. sends like a it sends a signal through you, and based on how well or not the signal goes through, because like fat compared to lean body tissue is going to conduct that signal differently. That's how it that's how it uh, estimates your body fat percentage. But a lot of things can affect that, like your hydration and even whether or not your skin is warm or cool or or wet or dry. So I don't like those. And uh, I mean, use just use pictures like pre and post pictures or just regular progress pictures like every month or something that's going to be the best way to look at body fat because um, what why is it necessary to quantify it i mean maybe to say like okay i could lower it from where it is now but um you know if you can start seeing veins in your lower abs like that might be a little um a little lean for most lifting sports and athletics and then if you're like having some chub or something that might be a little too uh too much body fat, you know, so why do you need to quantify it anyway? So, but yeah, calipers are going to work well, but you have to have a skill and a good caliper. So, uh, <clears throat> just a quick story here. Yesterday, <clears throat> I went out with, uh, hang, hung out with Brent in Dallas, and <clears throat> we went down to a restaurant, the uh, Mellow Mushroom, which is pretty fantastic, uh, pizza and sandwiches. But I went in there and I said, Hey, is there a little Asian fellow uh, sitting by himself waiting for us? And they said, uh, no, I don't think anyone matching that description has come in yet. And uh, about so we went and sat down. And about 10 minutes later, Brent walked in uh, with a button-up shirt and his skinny jeans on. And she goes, oh, hey, someone was looking for you before. You're the little Asian guy. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, she just said that. And I was across the restaurant, and I felt real bad uh, because Brent is real jacked. Uh, and he looks real jacked and Sophie's in a tank top uh, but he had this like button up shirt on so his vascularity and his musculature was covered up uh, so I felt real bad so you know as Brent's eating he's telling me like oh hmm, I'm, a, I'm a little Asian guy hmm. so uh, as we were leaving you know Brent uh, goes up to the lady and she, he's like do you really think I'm little do you really think I'm little and I try I start taking his shirt off uh, just you know in an effort to show her that Brent is in fact not a little Asian guy, uh, and he's real jacked, and his chest jacked because he's doing a lot of uh, ring push-ups. So I'm I'm sorry for that, Brent. <clears throat> so uh, you're just giving him more reasons to consider doing like a cycle of testosterone or something. Nah, he he doesn't <laughs> need any reasons. He's he's real jacked. Yeah. No, we don't use any any drugs, and uh, I don't even know much about drugs. Just as a side note, but um. Mike is Mike is in a, a a sport now that kind of I guess powerlifting is too and even weightlifting but not really in America but like these sports are kind of predicated on using drugs and it's just interesting seeing like how the top guys train
compared to how like the lower guys train when you know that they are on medicine. Yeah, they're on the uh, you know as the Eastern European phrase would be, they're on medicine. So it's just like interesting looking at the differences in programming, uh, and so basically we just need Mike to to get his pro card so we can start having an having a valid opinion on the matter because it's it usually seems like the the programming is sometimes fair at best you know so yeah there are a lot of a lot of really good amateurs though, so it might take me a couple of years and my press sucks but it's getting better yes anyway moving right along uh we got a question from jonathan jonathan asks what is the best way to keep the deadlift going up on the texas method tm books provides several options five through one progression three two one alternating with speed i thought about alternating a five rm and an with an 8RM deficit. Which would be the first to try? I've been using TM for seven months. I progressed through a set of five, triple, double, and singles on my intensity day, and then reset. Deadlifts didn't improve my second time through, but squats are still improving as well. Uh, real quick before Justin gets into this. I'm not really sure why he wants to do an eight rep max deficit pull. Uh, I think with deficit pulls, you really have to have your, your form together because uh, deficit pulls, if done, you know, on too great of a deficit, can drastically alter your technique. So uh, I think you have to really have a. It really has to be fine tuned. Like if Chris wanted to do an 8RM deficit, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it because I think he could keep everything together. But uh, yeah, an 8RM deficit seems like definitely. I don't. I don't know if that's something you would need. Thoughts? You're saying it doesn't sound like it's a solution to the problem. No, an 8RM deficit pull, no. That doesn't sound like a solution to me. Well, the first thought I have is... Stop whining! Um, so that might be the first thing. But, uh, um, all right, so he said he's... Okay, one of the things to talk about in the book is, like, is, is decreasing the number of reps, and he's basically saying he did that. Um, so I'd want to know... There's too many. There's too many questions here in order to give him something definitive because if he's in fact like this intermediate or getting to a late stage intermediate, that means that there's a lot of specifics that go into how you program for someone. And it's hard to write a book on how to program for that. And so um, the book has many different options and, and, and I'd be curious to know if he tried everything that's in that book. Um, so let's let's assume he has or he doesn't want to try him or whatever like the one I, what I'd want to know is what does his actual deadlift look like or what are where is his, where are his deficiencies because um like he didn't mention anything about rack pulls but rack pulls are fantastic for driving the deadlift up kind of in this uh this adaptation stage for someone who's in that intermediate realm and so I mean that's that's one of the things that I think really drove Chris's deadlift up and I, and you could comment on how much or how little it helped you but um, that's the first thing is like most people are not going to have these awesome hamstrings that can uh, be smooth through a lockout and strong when they are tired and everything for the sake of powerlifting but also just for the sake of uh, pushing their their max deadlift up so uh, I kind of push him to inquire about uh, rack pulls and read about that reread that part in the book if he hasn't tried it at all and start implementing that into his rotation because the next stage after just speed heavy speed heavy is to kind of have like a is to kind of have uh, rack pulls in the month and, and so on from there. What do you think, Mike? Uh, I don't know. I, I would I would want to know more about, uh, I guess, his entire program. Like, I would, I would want to know how his squat is progressing. Because obviously I've had, uh, you know, a struggle with the deadlift for a very long time. But uh, I think it's finally on the right path. 
You know, I, I just want to know a lot of things. I want to know if he's doing RDLs, if he's doing stiff leg deadlifts, if he's That's any good point. If yeah. He's really bad at bent rows. Uh, you know, if he's really strong off the floor, and then like me, he stalls at at lockout. You know, can pull anything up to his knees, but then after that, you're just done. Uh, you know, does he do mobility work? Does he have poor thoracic extension? Uh, he could email us any of this stuff, and we could, I don't know, kind of look into it a little more. But yeah, I mean, especially if your deadlift has been stuck for a while, I mean, there's there there are a lot of things you can try, and uh, eventually you can get through it. But yeah, it sucks while you're stalled. Uh, what's the matter? Yeah, basically, Mike. Up. The the summary is what's the matter? Because we have to know more. We can't just. Sure. Yeah. Need to know more. Uh, I'd also point so out. I'm also going to point out. Hold on. Hold on. I want to point out right. that uh, Mike um, is toying with the idea of. I'm putting him on the spot right now because I'm going to see if there's any interest in it. He's toying with the idea of doing a little bit of program for people if he has the time and such. But I would I would go ahead and point out um, that Mike is is good at thinking about people's programming and stuff. And uh, so if you guys have questions for him, I, like especially in this realm of that intermediate type stuff, I think he's very good at it and uh, probably better at the, that programming and coaching aspect than, than uh, I was going to say than the lifting, but I don't want you to take that as an insult. I wanna, I'm trying oh, to make that No, I, I agree. I think I'm better at programming for other people than I am for myself. I mean, not necessarily better, but I'm, uh, uh, let's, I can think more objectively. Because with me, you know, I know I know how things feel and I know how things look to me. So I think I can be more objective when assessing other people. Moving on. What? That's that's what I, that's how I feel. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't take offense to that. Anyway, so Mike at seventiesbig.com. You can email me. Uh, Chad Hydro. That's a sweet name. Nothing works if it isn't thought out. I was kind of looking at this while we were talking about the other one. Uh, because it, he's saying it appears anatomically his right shoulder is lower than his left. I don't. Yeah. I want to know how he knows that. Like uh, that, someone... that's, that's that was the first thing I was going to say. Like, how does he know that? And additionally, what I was going to say is that sometimes it looks that way to me, like on myself. But then I can tell that my, you know, my scalenes are really tight. Uh, and how would you describe the uh, how to palpate the scalenes, Justin? You laterally flex your head to you like take your ear to your shoulder and then the side that is being opened up your scalenes are right there so so I use a lacrosse ball in my scalenes three times a week uh, because they get really tight so sometimes if I don't do that it would appear that one of my shoulders is lower than the other one so it may not be that that's the case or maybe he's actually been diagnosed as yeah your shoulder is you know your right shoulder is way lower uh, <laughs> diagnosed. But, uh, Diagnosis is a funny like, term. Yeah, you like, like, damn, look at that. You've got this lethal triad for a for a asymmetrical shoulder. You have this is the diagnosis. The differential right. is that you have a crooked wiener. It's it, yeah, <laughs> and it's fatal. It's over. Um, uh, it affects his left elbow because his left side gets jacked up and tugs on the elbow. Have you ever seen this? How do? I mean. I don't know if that's actually what he, he could start with the uh, the scalings and the lacrosse ball and see if that's I don't yeah. know if that evens it out or maybe he actually does have something anatomically wrong. Yes. Yes. Um, so, 
what are we trying to get at here? He's he's just trying to improve this. So he's just saying, like, have you ever seen this kind of thing anymore? I've seen Chad, but it's been like several years. He came to a seminar. He's a good dude. Uh, Sweet name. I mean, it's likely that he has musculature stuff that's affecting his shoulder symmetry. Is it possible that he has... Uh, when, he's, when you say asymmetrical shoulder, that's going to mean, like... There are a lot of things that could go into that, because, like, if someone played baseball and they followed through all the time, stretching their external rotators out or even stretching, like, the rhomboids or the middle traps or the superior traps or something, then a scapula can sit lower. So there's there's things that could affect it like that, and you could, you know, theoretically improve that. Um, if he's got, like, some sort of scoliosis, then whatever he does, it's not going to affect his shoulder uh, symmetry. But... So I don't know what he's saying, because if you look at yourself in the mirror, you may have tight scalenes, or you might actually, without even realizing it, be kind of contracting your trap up on one side and make it look asymmetrical. So um, he just has to keep, you know, keep stretching and doing soft tissue work. Like if he knows he's got problem areas around his neck um, or his anything that attaches to his scapula, then work on that stuff. And uh, he didn't really say how it affects his elbow. I, he might mean like squat. Um, the rack position or something if that's the case then he doesn't want to flare that up and he wants to you know there's not really anything specific to give him Would, wouldn't you agree Mike? Yeah I mean, without knowing more I mean that, that's a, that seems to be a trend with the questions but again this is a very specific problem that it might not be easily addressed I was just trying to set you up so I could say wrong okay you can still say it that's fine <laughs> Uh, but Chad, look into that or ask again if you know if you've been diagnosed. Uh, Steven Strickland asks, "Are good mornings in RDLs and lifting shoes versus flat shoes? What's the difference?" I guess that's what he's asking. I think that there's uh, more there's more stretch in the hamstrings when you have flat shoes on. Uh, so I'll I'll do RDLs and stuff um, in flat shoes, and I have uh, my wife do it too. Um, I don't think. I think it's just different. Like uh, my friend Shannon Green in Australia, when he talks about uh, different types of RDLs or Good Mornings, Bandit or otherwise, he's always just like, do it differently. Like, do it wide, do it toes out, do it toes forward, do it narrow. So, I mean, you if you were doing if you were going with that mentality, you'd be like, do it in your shoes, do it without your shoes. But I think you can get some more hamstring stretch. Um, with the flat shoes but then again it's not like a contested lift or anything so it's not one of those things you have to do the same way all the time there can be some variation in order to get muscular development because that's ultimately why you use the rdl or the good morning is to get uh strengthening and development in that area and you're focusing more on muscular action than just moving weight from point a to point b like in like in strength training so try it uh try it either way i'm 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 ready for Justin to answer this next question because I know he's going to get a little fired up. I'm running Harlan for Governor to lead a movement for change. <laughs> All right. For Olympic lifters, what kind of squat program would you recommend? Have you tried small off, 10 by 3, hatch squat? Of course, you've done TM, which is pretty badass, but also kind of burns the CNS if you're doing frequent Olympic lifting. Uh, part two, well, we'll just answer part one at first. And first of all, my question is, uh, I think TM would be a lot less stressful than small love uh just based on the volume frequency and intensity uh but justin is going to really enjoy the cns part of that question go ahead i'm not going to answer his question i'm just going to bitch about his terms because it bothers me <laughs> uh burning the cns or uh what are some other phrases people use uh 
So I mean, I mean, it's all it's all it's all related to the CNS. It's all like uh, CNS uh, fatigue or something. Destroyed my CNS. CNS is trashed. Uh, There's another one in particular. I can't remember right now. Um, Let me see if I can find it. But basically, basically, uh, focusing on the central nervous system is not enough. Like, like, yeah, there is uh, the central nervous system is primarily having an effect on like releasing neurotransmitters to have an effect, and some of those connect as hormones, and some of them have like a specific local effect, like uh, releasing acetylcholine to actually have an action potential change in a muscle cell for it to activate and to contract, um, but. It's not like when you train really hard, you're somehow doing something to your central nervous system that uh, significantly uh, inhibits it or something. Um, it's <laughs> it's like a, I don't know. It's it's not even like an oversimplification because it's just like wrong. It's you you have to look at your body as a system, and so if anything, you should say your system is just fatigued after doing this type of thing, and it just means because you're doing too much fucking work on it. So I mean, you've got. You've got like 11 systems in the body. You have like the bone, the skeletal system, muscular, but you also have like the immune system, the lymphatics, um, the endocrine system, like the digestive. These are all intimately related in order to basically have systemic responses. So the focus on central nervous system is just like keyboard warriors from the early 2000s and 90s that kind of developed these terms that have stuck around and they bother the fuck out of me because they're just, they're just, they sound st- I mean, they sound stupid, and not that Harlan sounds stupid. It's just he's, because uh, he's uh, I don't really know him, but he's contributed to the site. He's asked some questions and stuff on uh, the fan page, so I see his little avatar pop up, and he asks questions. So I'm not saying he's stupid, but like, get away from talking about the central nervous system that is burned out because that's it's like inaccurate. It's it's like it's something that doesn't make any sense. So like, if you want to say like you're systemically fatigued, that's fine. Um, in which case. Um, He's saying like, yeah, Texas method is good, but blah blah blah. And the what Mike said is important because like Smolov or even the Hatch programs that are predicated on high volume and high um, and high intensity, <laughs> high volume or high intensity and high frequency, just like uh, putting a lot of high. a lot of yeah. stuff. Like the Texas method, the way that like Glenn Penley kind of started it and used it. Um, doesn't have as much work as those and can have like a weekly progression that's not too bad with Olympic lifting like essentially you can do three to five sets of five early in the week um, have a front squat session in the middle and then at the end of the week you just kind of do one heavy set and that's all the Texas method really is like the way that I the book my books kind of use the Texas method for the sake of a comprehensive program for general strength training and powerlifting. Whereas like the classic Texas method is just for what you do on squat in addition to your snatch your snatch and clean and jerk training. And Penley still uses a, you know, Penley's a programmer, so he uses that kind of template and he might apply it to his lifters and when depending on what stage they're in. And uh it's it's effective. So not saying that Texas method is king and that I know what I'm my my quote unquote program is the best, but like that template is pretty works pretty well and like Smolov is my understanding is more of a powerlifting program anyway, and it's gonna just. I still want if if I'm training Olympic lifters, I still want them to be able to snatch and clean and jerk decently, <laughs> instead yeah. of being fucking destroyed on the squat. And it depends on what their limiting factor is. Like if they're just really weak, then I may not need these advanced programs if they're really weak. I just may need them to have a, a linear progression on squat two or three times a week after they snatch and clean and jerk. You know, so 
I, I'm not real big on those programs because they're, they're volume based so there's just so much work like I'm not against using them late late more late intermediate or more advanced style stuff but it just doesn't seem that they're necessary because I'm all about doing the least amount of work and getting the most productivity and doing a fuck ton of work just to get the same advancement you could get with a lot less work I mean it's pretty obvious to me like what the answer is right there I, I, I don't really want to get into that second no we don't, I don't think we need to I mean it, it's not spe really specific enough. Sorry, Harlan. It's just about, you know, a sacroiliac joint or SI joint and rehabbing it. But, I mean, there's – we definitely need to know more for something. Well, like since that. you brought it up, like, if you have dysfunction in your SI joint, like, it could be related to that thing we talked about earlier where um, if you just have general pain in your SI or lower back region, like, you might be pounding it too much. So, you know, ratchet things back and use some uh, – find out what, what's wrong with it. Is there mobility limitations? Are there muscular limitations, like, in the hamstrings? And then uh, from there, like, you're going to be looking at if, if you have actual, like, uh, neat adjustments on it and soft tissue work, that might be, like, a, a, phys a physical therapist job or something. So there's, yeah, it's, there's not enough information to actually help him with that. But, like, what, what kind of mobility limitations do you have and are you just pounding it all the time and not allowing it to rest type thing? It's, that's how you would approach SI problems superficially. Uh, Mathis, I think that's how you pronounce it. I could be wrong. <clears throat> if a uh, strength phase has been established, i.e. finished LP, is a hypertrophy program good for contact sport athletes to fill out their musculature, especially weak ones such as arms, hamstrings, calves, or should strength still be the top priority? All right, so he's, uh, he's basically saying if you finish your linear progression, is there anything wrong with a hypertrophy-focused program and then uh, – Wellborn kind of says like muscle this this musculature is important for preventing injury in, in contact sports and so I don't know what he's doing is he asking permission like what do I like what would you think if I did a hypertrophy program like yeah, I mean your programming is your business like if if you want to change your programming after your linear progression that's your prerogative um, but I think he's kind of saying like is this beneficial and like the first thing it's going to do if he's if you're doing contact sports is what Wellborn said which is going to help protect you and, and decrease injury. And I guess in Wellborn's case, he may have made a point about, like, uh, you know, applying more force into people because you're heavier or something. But then uh, the other important factor is that uh, hypertrophy training can help balance you out because uh, balanced musculature, and I'm talking about the entire body, not just, like, a balanced lat, what it, but that, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, like, agonist and antagonist, like, uh, if we're talking about the biceps as an agonist, the antagonist for the biceps is the uh, triceps in that case, or biceps and hamstrings. But I'm kind of talking about like chains of muscles, um, anterior chain, posterior chain. Like if these, if if an athlete is not in muscular balance, then they're not going to be as efficient in whatever they're trying to do, whether that's like uh, um, like team sports. And I say team sports with the uh, by implying that there's like reaction and like lateral movement and, and, and different types, you know, broad spectrum type stuff compared to like weightlifting, which is very uh, linear snatch, clean and jerk, and that's pretty much it. So um, this balanced musculature plays a role in, in limiting injury, limiting like repetitive, uh, like acute injury, but also chronic injury or stiff stuff that develops over a long period of time. And uh, balancing someone's body out is important for continuing that strength gain and so like if someone gets to the point where they're quote-unquote done with a linear progression but they have 
um, a weak or smaller upper back or their arms aren't filled out or they just don't have a lot of musculature um, usually it's the upper body I mean usually once you do a, a linear progression decently you don't you don't you're not lacking in your butt and thigh region but it's usually that upper body so that's why I'm focusing on it but it could be like this guy has gotten to this point and his hamstrings aren't very developed you know so balance it out helps you get stronger all right next question is from uh, Mike Mike. Yeah, Mike. Mike. Who are you? <clears throat> Mike. Douglas Quaid. Mm. I am Quaid. Alex asks on TM, would you program overhead? Would you program press, bench the same way as squats and deadlifts? Are you moving from five rep maxes to triples to doubles, so on and so forth? <clears throat> would you increase the volume day of weight every four weeks or every eight weeks because you only do each lift every other week? Thanks. Fuck you. All right. Um, I wasn't listening, Mike. Can you read that again? Mm, I'm just kidding. Um, this is Alex's question, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I guess, are we boring you, Mike? No, I'm just yawning, bro. No deal. No deal. No, it's not train. true. Or eat and then go train. I don't play that game. Hmm. You don't you don't train, eh? Are we gonna, quitting? We're gonna do this one and one or two more. We'll just do Ben's question after this. Ben. So answer Alex's question, brah. Well, I mean, he's asking if I'm gonna program press and bench the same way as squats and deadlifts. So I mean, the first thing I would say is like, does this guy have the books, or at least the first book or something? Because it kind of tells you what to do in there. So. We probably shouldn't have even accepted this question because it's kind of like, I don't know. If he said, I read the book and I'm confused or I read the book and I want to do something different. But I don't, if he hasn't read the book, then it's going to be like, well, fucking read it. But that being said, um, like, I typically don't like the alternated week, like bench one week, press the next week. It works like in the beginning of an intermediate type program. But if he read the book, then he would know that we, I like to shift people, if they can, schedule-wise, into a four-day-a-week program, and it allows for uh, much better upper body development. And I think that's important for intermediate lifters for the reasons we just talked about a second ago, in that they are usually lacking that in that region when they're still within the first couple years of their lifting, quote-unquote, career or serious lifting. So um, when the volume would be... I mean, you, there's not really a hard-lined... Uh, rule on when to increase the volume because remember in the Texas method it's all dependent on pushing up the intensity and so usually for squatting it's like only push the volume up after three consecutive increases on the intensity is like one of the general rules but in other words it keeps it keeps the volume from increasing so that the intensity can increase to have a discrepancy between the volume and intensity so that you're doing the least amount of volume to try and get the most amount of intensity per that volume. And so the same principle applies if you're going to um, do these movements alternated. But again, I'd like to, I like to transition people into a four day a week program. So, um, and of course, like there are assistance exercises that really help with the upper body, like weighted pull-ups and chin-ups and barbell rows that will also have kind of that indirect effect on pushing the bench and the press. All right. Mike, Mike. Yes, Mike. We have a problem. Give these people air. Why do they need air? 
No. You gotta be more on the fly with that, man. Wrong. You gotta be Johnny, Johnny on the spot. You son of a bitch. <clears throat> Fair enough. All right, Ben asks, he's going on deployment above the USA George Herbert Walker Bush. The problem is the gym is terrible, doesn't have a squat rack, although it has two Smith machines. Lots of dumbbells and a couple of bars that can be loaded. My question is, while underway, what can I do to replace squatting for the time being? I've been doing a lot of clean and high rep front squats and RDLs. What else to recommend doing so I don't lose too much strength? You know what I was thinking? You know how some of the uh, the Smith machines, you can push the bar all the way to the top? I wonder if he could push the bar all the way to the top of the Smith machine and then put uh, put the barbell in the rack. Would he be able to do that? He uh... should be able to do that, right? What I rack? Mean, well, well, like you know the uh, the arms that the uh, the little rollers fit into on the Smith machine bar. I think there's too much shit on the machine that. Uh, I think there's too much stuff in the way because you would only have your barbell would be sticking out on each side, and you would be you wouldn't have much room to maneuver front to back if you did that. I see what you're saying, but I don't think I don't think there's room for it given the machine. He can aim to give it a shot, right? Um, Wrong. He could try. He could try, I, but um, I think it's if if it, I would say make try and make a rack instead of fucking around with that. I don't see how there's enough room to do that, but it would have it would depend on the depth of the Smith machine, like how yeah, much that, from that, would the, have a, that would have a lot of the anterior to posterior yeah. distance. Um, okay, but that being said. He has dumbbells. He has some bars. It sounds like um, I don't know if he has bumpers. To, I don't know, but um, what I would say is that just do what you can. Like, uh, he, if you can't do back squats, then you're not. Then don't worry about doing them. If you wanted to load up with the Smith machine and do some weird back squats, I mean, that's up to him. But uh, it might not be as benef- probably not as beneficial. Just just front squat or uh, over o- overhead squat. Um, and use the RDL to keep your your hamstring strong and just do what you can. Like, you're going to do sub-maximal stuff, but, I mean, I would imagine his clean would increase or his power clean to the point where <clears throat> or he can teach himself how to clean or to hang clean so that, and then just front squat that weight. Like, it's not as ideal, but you can still get leg training there, you know? And then he could uh, even do uh, lunges or if he has some sort of box, he could do step-ups. Um... So there's still ways to get some good leg training in, and yeah, like the squat is kind of the king of all exercises. But in the absence of the squat, you can still train your musculature and, and maybe go back up to that, uh, like the previous two topics about balancing out musculature and balancing out the upper body. Like maybe it's like while you're doing these lunges and stuff, and front squats and RDLs and deadlifts, and you're not getting that back squat in. Like go ahead and start working on that whatever your deficiencies are. Maybe that upper body arms, whatever. If he's, front, if he's front squatting and he goes back, like it might be weird back squatting for a little bit when he gets done with uh, this deployment, but it, he's not going to be like... He might have a sweet front squat and clean at that point. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be deficient, like void of any type of back squat strength or anything, so... He'll get, back, he'll get it back in, I don't know, four to six weeks. He should be fine. And have a good time on your deployment, Ben. Don't work too hard. Uh, last question. Game answer. Zach's over. question. Game over. Answer Zach's question. Do it now. He has a question about doing the deadlift. 
He's a taller lifter, 6'4", long femurs. Positioning is a problem for me, setting my bag at a 45-degree angle. <clears throat> Most of my pulls feel like stiff leg deadlifts, while a lot of pullers pull this way. Is there a way to improve my fulcrum? I pull near 400 pounds, but would like to get more into the form. Also, want to incorporate more weakness-specific lifts, box pulls into training. Okay, so <clears throat> assuming you're gonna you're pulling conventionally and that you want to keep pulling conventionally, uh, what I would suggest is, you know, you're gonna have to uh, mess around with it for a while. Try try a bunch of different things. Try a uh, you know, try pulling in weightlifting shoes, try pulling in flat shoes, I mean, or socks, whatever. Uh, try setting up further from the bars, try setting up closer to the bar. You know, uh, see how see how everything looks. See what look, see what feels the best to you. Uh, try pulling with a double overhand hook grip. That, that has helped me quite a bit uh, because I have long femurs as well. Uh, so you're gonna have to try a bunch of different things. I think you can get, it might not look perfect, but I think you can probably improve it. Uh, I used to pull, I mean, pretty much I was in the same boat when I first started deadlifting. <clears throat> I mean, I could do a 565 pound stiff leg deadlift. It was disgusting, but, uh, yeah, it happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, it's definitely, I, I was never getting any better. Mike what, Mike, what would you say is, uh, the difference in how you pulled early on compared to now? Like, just like talk about the differences. Uh, when I first started deadlifting, I would wear a thick lever belt. Oh wait, time out, time out. Maybe oh, not like I, when you, maybe not when you first started deadlifting, but maybe like yeah. when you met me and we had you. Deadlift. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So, okay. Settle down. Settle down. Uh, yeah. When I first met Justin, I was pulling in socks. Uh, pretty, pretty close stance. Pretty wide grip. Uh, and just really yanking the bar and just. But I yeah. mean, after I started coaching you, because like the like let's say Texas State time period, that first meet yeah. you did, compared to now, like after I cleaned that kind of shit up, you still have a different deadlift than you did when when we first were were working together, right? Uh, I think my my mobility's improved a lot, and I think, you know, the further away from, I, I mean, time wise, you know, it's been years since I pulled, you know, without any uh, thought to how I was really deadlifting. So the further I get away from that, the more I think I'm able to uh, to improve my technique. Uh, I think I've improved my thoracic mobility a lot. I think uh, by switching to double overhand hook grip, uh, I'm able to keep the bar closer, which you know is keeping my thoracic extension a little bit better. Uh, he, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know if Zach has a problem with the lockout, but with long femurs and he's really tall, I'm assuming that the lockout is kind of hard, yeah. unless he's got crazy long arms. Uh, now, would you yeah, say, but, would you, how would you, uh, do you think there's any difference in your hip height compared to, like, now what it was, like, a couple years ago? Uh, I mean, it almost kind of looks it, like your hips are slightly lower. Not like you're trying to get them down there, but maybe that's a maybe, function the, of, of you modifying, like, your mobility and getting your femurs out a little bit. Getting that, that, uh, that, I think that's probably it more than anything, because I'm setting up about the same distance away from the bar, uh, and, it's, you know, as soon as my... As soon as my shins touch the bar, I try to pull it into myself. But yeah, I probably have you know my mobility is significantly you know better than back then because back then I did you know nothing. So yeah, you know my uh, the health of my scapulae, like a lot of the tissue in there has really been uh, grody and real beat up. So I, I've gotten that tissue in a lot better uh, positioning. That way I can get my upper back tighter. At the bottom of the deadlift, but and you pull you yeah. pull in uh, flat shoes, right? No, I pull in weightlifting shoes. When I was pulling, when I started pulling in flat shoes, 
I I really started to get back to how I used to deadlift, and yeah. it's very ugly and very inefficient. Okay. So the weightlifting shoes have, they're gonna stay. The double overhand is gonna stay. You know whether or not I use straps in a competition or not, uh, because you know in strongman you can use straps, so it shouldn't change my technique too much, which is nice, because it, uh, you'd be su- you'd be surprised. You know how different using an alternate grip versus using double overhand hook grip. How much that can change your technique? Just that little bit. Uh, it it changes a lot. It makes the deadlift feel a lot better to me. What is uh, what's the keel height in the shoes that you wear? Your weightlifting shoes. Is it, is it like half an inch? Half point seven five. Let's see. What's the Adidas? What are they? Adidas powerlifts. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of like, you kind of have to, kind of like we were talking about the the. Hit, the article earlier about the dude, the point six, point six. Okay, so yeah. right over a half. So, uh, kind of how we're talking about different variations in skeletal anatomy. Like Zach might have to play around with it a little bit, but he's gonna like the same principle still applies. Like you're pulling, you're you're pulling in balance, and you're keeping the bar close, and you're not gonna have a super wide stance. Um, but also, Mike said if you're going to stay pulling conventional, because um, I don't. I don't really. I don't remember seeing very tall lifters uh, preferring the sumo. Do you Vince like... Urbank pulls both ways, but I mean, I, I think he's better at pulling conventionally. Yeah, I mean, typically. And these that dude guys is that real are, tall. These guys that are bigger, like six four, six five, typically pull with a conventional, and they may be more balanced, perhaps, than this than Zach. But uh, I mean, they're pulling conventional, so I mean, he can try both, and both may pulling both ways might help a developer. Or improve his strength, you know, or or his musculature. So, either either way, like try some of the things Mike talked about. And um, what's the, what would be the main take home for him to to not make it like a sumo or to make it like a stiff legged? Just uh, to I mean, he's just gonna have to stick with. Uh, and I'm not talking about you know ridiculous lightweight. I'm talking something like something above fifty percent for sure, maybe closer to sixty. And just really just experimenting with different things, because I I mean I've experimented with just about everything with deadlift, uh, with the deadlift, and uh, yeah I found what I think works for me at least for now, and hopefully uh, I'll finally uh, break my PR. And one of the but, things yeah. Mike was alluding to is that helped him was like mobility. So I mean if you're not if you're not able to get uh, externally rotated in the hip which is like the knees out, that's going to inhibit your ability to um, have a locked lower back with your hips in a certain position. In other words, like it'll look like your hips are lower, but it's because you're getting more externally rotated. They're not, you're not having a little bit of impingement with your either belly or size or, or actual bony anatomy. So yeah. So try that Zach fucking guy. Do it Look now. Yell at him, man. Why you you so like mad? discipline. You like discipline. I've got news for you. You are mine now. You belong to me. Now, whatever your name is, get ready for the big surprise. I think this one's funny. Nice night for a walk. <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right, so man. So we all well, said. What do you, what do you think? You think? Yeah, we're, we, we're, we are done for the day. Wrong. Done for the day. We're checking yeah. out. I need to go eat, and then I need to go totally. This is me, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I will not be doing the deadlift today, though. Douglas Quaid. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who is your daddy? All right. Mike, I think that... uh... Don't you understand? 
I feel like I was meant for something more than this. Alright, all of you guys have a splendid day. And, uh... Hopefully you have a day off, right? Like yeah. Justin, uh... And then, uh... Fuck you.